Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. And today, this morning, on the last Sunday, we're going to look at Luke 22. And so if you want to take your Bibles there to Luke 22 this morning, we will look at the very end of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Thursday night was the beginning. Tonight, the very end of his earthly life and ministry. And on this, the last Sunday of a tumultuous year, to say the least, we're going to look at the last thing that Christ did with all 12 of his disciples that's recorded in this in Luke's gospel here. And as we prepare to take part in just a few moments in communion or what's sometimes called the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, we're going to we're going to look and, and see what we would call the last supper where Christ instituted this practice of communion with his disciples. And uh, with with all that we try to do and, and the Bible doesn't give there are principles that we build some things upon. The Bible doesn't say we should sing this song with a piano playing. And so some of the things we do in our church is based on biblical principles. But everything that we believe, our faith and practice, we want it to be built upon scriptural truth and principle. And so communion is not just some religious ceremony that, that some men thought up some hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. Where did it come from? Communion, the idea, this idea for communion came from right here in Luke 22. It's actually found in all four of the Gospels. There are a lot of things that happen that are recorded in one of the Gospels aren't recorded in the other three. And, uh, and so sometimes it may be that that's emphasizing and showing us the importance of this because uh, Jesus, the Last Supper with his disciples, it is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And by way of introduction, I would like to say this, and for those that might be new to our church or new to church in general, uh, what is communion? What we're about to do in, in a few moments, we're going to partake of the elements of an unleavened wafer of bread and, and unfermented grape juice. And, and as with almost anything that is religious, if you will, or spiritual, or that comes from God's Word, man likes to take what God gives, and over the course of time, we like to sometimes complicate it. We like to throw in our own little ideas and, and try to make it something that it's not. Communion is not some magical or mystical ceremony that is going to get you any closer to heaven than you were when you walked in here. There's nothing magical about the prepackaged wafers and, and juice that we have there. Uh, there's nothing mystical about those things. And, and the Bible doesn't show us anywhere, I, I don't believe, in, and uh, in Scripture what some denominations or religions have come to teach the doctrine of transubstantiation, that somehow there's this mystical, magical thing when you eat this. Um, and by the way, one other thing that COVID has ruined is the unleavened wafer. In a moment, you'll find out it does not, it tastes like styrofoam. It's a little weird. But that, that styrofoam-tasting unleavened wafer does not turn into the body of Christ as you eat it. It does not mystically, magically let you partake in the blood of Christ. It is a meaningful celebration, not some mystical, magical ceremony. Uh, when, when uh, at Christmas time, what do we do at Christmas? We celebrate the birth of Christ. If you're married and you have an anniversary, what do you do at that, that, that meaningful celebration? You celebrate the fact that God has put you together for another year. 
And uh, we have some people, Christmas is a, a popular time to get married. We have several here that are celebrating anniversaries this week, and you were married around this time. What are you doing when you celebrate? Nothing magical is happening when you celebrate an anniversary. You go out to a nice steak dinner or go on a vacation. It's just a meaningful celebration of that relationship, of what that commitment that you made at the wedding altar years ago. Same thing with a birthday. Nothing magical happens as you blow out the candles on a birthday cake. It's just a meaningful celebration of life. And so what we're about to see here, there is nothing mystical, spooky, magical. This doesn't get us closer to heaven. It's an opportunity that Christ instituted with his disciples. And then Paul, to his letters to churches, continued to teach about that the church was told we ought to do this. It doesn't tell us how often. As some churches do it every Sunday, others do it others hardly ever do it in a corporate gathering. They, they maybe have a room off to the side that you can go do it whenever you want to. Uh, the church that I grew up in for many years, they did it the first Sunday evening of every month, and then they changed that. And the Bible doesn't tell us how often to do it. In our church, generally, we do it four to six times per year. And we try to revolve the whole service around it and not just tag it on at the end of the service, kind of a little five-minute thing at the end, but really get us thinking about it. Look at Scripture that talks about it. But it was something that was instituted just kind of like an anniversary. I shouldn't say just like, more important then, but kind of like an anniversary or birthday to cause us to remember. So easy to forget, isn't it? As humans, we, we use the phrase familiarity breeds contempt, meaning the longer we're around something, the less meaningful it can be to us. The longer you have anything, whether it's a relationship or a material possession or a job or a home, no matter how great it was when you first got it, and some of you already seen that with the toys that your kids opened two days ago, as exciting as it was on Friday morning, it's some of them are already broken. They don't mean quite as much just 24 or 48 hours later. They're already kind of off to the, and we, you know, the, the, you, you put it together, they played with it once, and they haven't gone back to it. Human nature dictates that with everything in our lives, the longer we're around it, if we're not careful, we can begin to take it for granted. And amazingly, that can even happen when we stop to think about the sacrifice that Christ made for us. The longer we've been saved, if we're not careful, we can start to take that for granted. I believe Christ, knowing our propensity for that, he instituted communion or the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. He instituted that as a regular way for the church to get their minds back to remember what it really was that Christ did for us, what it really is that Christ is. And so we find communion, not some magical, mystical thing, but a meaningful celebration, remembrance of who Christ is and what he's done. Let's jump into the passage. We're here in Luke 22, toward the very last hours of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Luke 22, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the what? Church called the what? That's an important word. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, named Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and, and, and communed with the chief priests and captains. Isn't it interesting, while Christ is going to want to commune with his disciples, Judas is communing with, with some of the enemies of Christ, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. They made a plan to betray Jesus. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So we're here with the disciples and Judas is making plans to betray Jesus. It's right around the time of the feast, the Passover feast or the feast of unleavened bread. Verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. 
And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you're entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the, what's that last word in verse 13? The what church? Passover. It's the time of the Passover. This is the context of the setting. They're getting ready to sit down to eat the Passover feast. We're actually planning next year, right around Easter, to have a ministry that comes in and, and, and have a somewhat of a Seder meal, and, 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 that, and, and they'll talk about some of the elements and what those things meant from the Old Testament, teaching us some of those things. They were sitting down to eat the Passover. What is the significance, before he implements communion, if we, what we're partaking in today, what is the significance of the Passover? Well, the Passover was an annual feast that the Jews for some 1,500 years leading up to this point in Luke 22 had celebrated and partaken in every year. What were they celebrating when they ate the Passover? They were celebrating the, 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 when the death angel passed over the houses of those that believed in Israel. Simply put, the Passover, what we just read about, what he's getting ready to partake in with his disciples, the Passover is an annual Jewish feast to remember God's miraculous salvation for those who believed enough to apply the shed blood of a spotless lamb so that they would escape the death that was coming. I want you to think about that definition. And by the way, to this day, every year in March or April, um, Orthodox Jews and Jews will, will still partake in that Passover meal. They've been doing that for some 3,500 years. 3,500 years, this annual feast. And what is it that they're remembering? They're remembering when, that, when, when God's people, the Israelites, in bondage in Egypt, cried out to God and said, would you save us, please? And God sent the 10 plagues, and the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. You remember that? And God said, in all of Egypt, everybody that does not have the blood on the doorposts, the death angel will come and will kill the firstborn. It was that plague. And what happened is if you had the blood applied to your doorpost, the blood of a spotless lamb, the death angel passed over your house and your home, your family was saved from the wrath of God. Well, what are we selling? That's what Passover is. What is communion? You can take it out from an annual Jewish feast to just put the words in there, a regular Christian celebration to remember God's miraculous salvation for those who believed enough to apply the shed blood of the spotless lamb so that they would escape the death that was coming. He's getting ready, taking, because remember, the Old Testament and New Testament are not separate. They're not, they're not, they're not at odds with one another. The Old Testament is pointing toward the New Testament. The, the Passover lamb, the death of the firstborn, God's miraculous salvation out of Egypt, what was it? It was pointing to the need of the shed blood of not a spotless lamb, but the spotless lamb that taketh away the sins of the world to be applied on the doorposts of our heart so that when we die, the death angel, that eternal death will pass over us and we will, we will receive the salvation and deliverance that God has provided. That is the background. 
That definition, and, and I just came up with that definition. I didn't look that up, but as I was thinking about how to describe it, that definition for the Jews is the same thing other than the fact that it's not a Jewish uh, 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 feast to remember. It's a Christian, regular Christian time of remembrance to remember what Christ has done, not what, what happened in Exodus, but what happened at Calvary. You see, in Exodus, God promised he would bring death to every house. But the houses that applied the blood of a lamb would be passed over. And so now we see the setting for what Christ was about to institute. I want you to see verse number 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is the last meal I'm going to eat, and I'm going to spend it with you men. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So he tells his disciples it's the Passover feast, and they're thinking they're going to look back to remember what God did in deliverance back in Egypt some 1,500 years ago at that point. And Christ is saying, this is the last meal I'm going to eat. My time is now come. And then he says this, and I want you to see verse number 19. Number one, I want you to see the focus of communion. The focus of communion, verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, what did he say? This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. What is he saying? I want you to continue to do this to remember. And we find that in Paul's letters. It was, this was not a one-time thing. When I leave, I want you to keep doing this in remembrance of me. And when you eat the bread, it reminds you of the fact of the body, that my body that's about to be broken for you. Now they were, he was talking about something that was about to happen. We, of course, are looking back to what did happen. Look at verse number 20. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The focus of communion. Why do we do this? And again, it's, it's not for forgiveness of sins. It's not for some spooky magical powers. Why do we do this? We do this in remembrance to bring our focus back to that which matters most. What matters most in the life of the believer? Christ and His finished work on the cross. But it's so easy for so many other things in our lives to matter most. It's so easy for the heartaches and heartbreaks and trials and challenges and joys and victories and all of these earthly temporal things to take preeminence in our minds and we lose sight of that which matters most. And, and communion is supposed to bring us back to that which matters most. And, and again, in the Passover, they were looking back to a miracle in Egypt. In communion, we're not looking back to Egypt, we're looking back to Calvary. We're no longer looking at a, a spotless lamb, we're looking at the spotless lamb. The focus of communion is to remember the love, the agony, the death, the resurrection, the salvation that is only provided through Jesus Christ. And, and the, the focus is not so much on what we've received, but it's on what Christ has given, His body that was broken, His blood that was spilled and shed for you and for me. It's a time for the church to stop and to take the focus off ourselves to take the focus off of our pursuits, to take the focus off of our burdens, off of our victories, and to put the focus back where it belongs on Christ alone. Not only the focus of communion, but look in this passage, the reality of communion. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. 
And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. By the way, it shows us that, that a few different things it shows us here. A couple of things. One, it shows us that not every person that follows Christ or, or claims the name of Christ and, and says they're a Christ follower is truly a sincere Christ follower. Now that's not your job and mine to decide. That's between God and that person. But a reminder that, that the Bible says there are going to be many in that day that say, uh, that, that he's going to, they're going to say, Lord, we did all these things in your name and let us into heaven. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. One of Jesus' 12, one of the 12 that followed Christ every day for three years was not a true follower of Christ. And, and we see here, it teaches us that, also shows us, they didn't even know amongst the, themselves that, who is it? Is it gonna be you, Peter? Is it gonna be you, James? Is it gonna be you, John? I, I kinda think it's gonna be that guy. And, and all that, amongst themselves, they, they didn't even know who it was. And, and it reminds us that even within the church, if you will, within the family of God, every influence is not a good influence. Not every relationship is a lasting one. Some will walk away from Christ. And sometimes it reminds us those who were, we were closest with will disappoint us greatly. And it also shows us, again, that, that communion has no spiritual efficacy for, for the forgiveness of sins. Judas is going to partake in communion, and he is not going to have any sins forgiven. Uh, it shows us a lot of things about that with that. And, and, and Paul, writing to the churches later about communion, says, if you're not a believer in Christ, you should not partake in communion. And in a moment, when we partake in the elements, if, if you're not sure what I'm talking about and what all this is, there's no problem. Nobody's going to make you feel awkward. If, you, if you're not a, this is for those that have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, a ceremony, if you will, a celebration to, to remember what he's done. If you're not sure what that's all about, when it's time to do that, just sit quietly there and ponder what God's doing in your heart and mind. But Paul tells us, if you're not a believer, you ought not partake in this, in this celebration. And again, it reminds us those sitting at the table with Christ can be, still be against Christ. At communion, it's a good time for us to search our hearts, to take true inventory of our relationship with him. Judas was sitting there at the table and had a terrible relationship with him. He had just made a deal to betray him and is sitting at the table. Communion is a great opportunity for us to search our own hearts and take inventory of a relationship. Next, we see in verse 24, distractions to true communion. In perfect disciple fashion, these guys crack me up and they encourage me because they give me hope that I can, I can live for God. If, look at this. What would your response be? Now just stop and think about it for a minute. The man you followed for three years, you've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. You've seen him change lives, raise the dead, make the, the blind to see, the lame to walk, the dumb to talk. You've seen the, the, the deaf to hear. You've seen all these things. You've seen him turn five loaves and two fishes into enough food to feed 10, 10 plus thousand people. You've seen all this stuff. And he sits down at the feast of the Passover, one of the most high holy days in, your, in the Jewish religion. And you're sitting down to have this, this feast. And Jesus, the one that you've given your life to, you've left family and friends. You've left all of it. You've left your career to follow him. And you've, you've given your life to him. And he, he sits down and says, hey guys, last meal we're going to have together. And I want you to remember as you eat the bread, I want you to remember me in the future. That take this bread and do it in remembrance of me. In this, this cup, I'm going to die. I'm going to shed my blood on the cross for your sins. And they still didn't quite understand. But three days later, I'm going to rebuild this temple. And they didn't know what he was talking about. 
and, and I'm going to do that. What do you think your mindset and mentality would be? What do you think you'd be focused on? Seems like you'd be in a pretty spiritual state of mind, right? Let's look at verse 24. Would you read verse 24 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? Really? Jesus just told you he's about to die, and they're like, hey, he likes me more than he likes you. I'm way more important than you are. Did you? I'm going to have a, a better seat at the table in his cat. No, no, no. I've done more for him. No, no, no. He, he trusts me with the money. Oh, no. He asked me to go do the shopping. No, to, but he always, no, but I'm, Jesus is saying, I want to enjoy some, some, some intimate communion with you, that heart, to, heart level relationship. And Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And then it turned into a fight of, I know it's not me because look at my list of all the things I've done. Well, I know it's not me because look how great I am. Well, I'm better than you, so it, it might be you. It's not me. And the distraction to communion was their own pride, their own pursuits, their own, their own accolades. They were about to have their final meal with Christ. And all they could think about was their own position and pursuits. We, we get worried about our lives and lifting ourselves up rather than keeping our focus where it belongs. We can come to church and sing and pray and hear preaching and walk out of church to leave, live a life completely for sin and self. Aren't we so much like the disciples? We sit here and we sing and we pray and maybe a tear falls and the Holy Spirit convicts and then we leave and we live for sin and self that distraction to true communion, our selfish, prideful pursuits. By the way, communion is not just something four or five times a year for you to partake in. God wants to have daily communion with you. That doesn't mean you have to eat unleavened wafers and drink grape juice every morning. What that means is God wants you to set aside your personal pursuits and pride and daily commune. I want to know you more. Would you guide my heart? Would you guide my thoughts? Would you guide my words? Would you spend time in his words. Spend time in prayer. Spend time meditating upon who he is in praise and in worship. He wants, he prepares new mercies every day for you and fresh spiritual bread every day. Do you partake in the daily communion God wants you and me to have? Or are we so focused on our personal issues that we push away what Christ has prepared? Isn't that what they did? They were so focused on themselves they lost sight of what Christ had prepared for them. They lost sight on the opportunity to have some of the sweetest communion they've ever had because they were worried about, I'm better, you're better, I'm greater, who's better? What is distracting you, church? What is distracting you from true, deep, meaningful communion? Your pride? A person? A pursuit? A job? S some other mentality, philosophy? And then lastly, notice what Jesus says. He gives them the call to refocus. The last three verses we'll look at and we'll partake. Verse 25. And he said unto them, after they're fighting about who's greatest, he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exer exercise lordship over them. They worry about who's in charge and who's the boss. And they exercise authority upon them that are called benefactors. Notice what he said in verse 26. The first, what is that? Six words there. What does it say there, church? First six words of verse 26. Ready? Begin. But ye shall not be so. Guys, there's supposed to be something different about us. The world is all worried about that. Who's better? Who's greater? Who's first? Dog eat dog. You, you know, I, I've, got, I've got to look out for number one. That's the world. That's what they do. Guys, haven't you learned anything in your three years with me? 
Haven't you learned anything in your thousand days walking by my side 24 hours a day? Haven't you learned anything? Guys, it, it ought not, it, that you shall not be so. Notice what it says in verse 26. You want to know who's the greatest? But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth in the world. Who's more important? Who's more respected? The one that's getting the steak and lobster delivered to them by the servants or the servant that delivers the steak and lobster. He says it's the one that gets the steak and lobster in the world's mentality. That's who's the greatest. But he said, have you ever seen me live like that? I, I, I'm the savior of the world. I'm the son of God. Have you ever seen me live like that? And in John, if you study this passage in John, what does Jesus do right after this? He picks up a bowl of water and he takes a rag and he goes and he begins to wash each of their feet. What is he saying? What is communion all about? To bring us back to a place of true humility and service. Why do, what, do we, what, what should remembering his work do in our lives? It should humble us and lead us to serve. Didn't he say toward the end of his life, talking to his disciples, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No. And Jesus is sitting there. I have to imagine. I don't know for sure, but I can imagine. I've been there with my kids sometimes. Have you not heard anything I've said? I kind of view it. I could be wrong again. This is just opinion. He's sitting there. It's a very meaningful moment. This is my bread. This is my body. I want you to remember this is the last time we're going to eat together. One of you is going to betray me. Well, it's not me. Is it you? It's not me. Well, no, it's not me. Do you remember? I walked on water. You think it's going to be me? It's not going to be me. Well, yeah, but, but I'm the one that, that handed out the most loaves and fishes. I, no, but I, in Jesus, I kind of view him. Really? This is what I gave my life for? And I don't know for sure that he felt that way. That's how I would have felt. But I do know what he said is this. Guys, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how you're supposed to live. This is not how you're supposed to think. In the world, the one that gets served is the greatest. But in, in, in my kingdom, in Christianity, as followers of Christ, the one that serves is the greatest. The one that lives to serve. And you need to remember, what am I, let me show you. And not only am I going to say it, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to wash all of your feet. And, and one of them said, you're not washing my feet. And he said, oh, if it, I am going to wash your feet. Or if not, and they said, okay, you can wash my feet and my hands also. And, and you remember that story? And what is he saying? Not only am I saying this, but I've lived it. And I want you to live this as I leave. And when we remember communion, it's supposed to humble us that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, would robe himself in human flesh, would come down to die for you and for me. And when we eat that wafer, it's not just supposed to be some passing, fleeting kind of little religious thing we do. It's supposed to humble us that the creator of the universe would come down in human flesh, live a sinless life, and have his body broken and beaten and bruised and battered for you and for me. That should humble us. Who am I that the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would say, not my will, thine, Lord? Who am I? It should humble us. And then it should cause us, if he would serve me that way, why can't I serve those that he's put in my life? Why can't I serve my coworkers and my neighbors and my family? Why can't I? Why, why, why am I so prideful? And, and why am I so rebellious? And why am I so stubborn? And why am I so worried about my way? 
I've got to be number one like they were. I'm the greatest. Why am I so worried about that? Communion is supposed to. It's the call to refocus here. Jesus gave them the call to refocus. What did he say? The Christian life is supposed to be different. Disciples, don't live like the world. Don't treat others like the world. Humble yourselves and serve. What was Christ saying to them here? He was saying, following me should lead you to true humility and selfless service. How convicting. They're arguing about which one of them was better and greater. And the, and the Savior of the world is washing their feet. His actions matched his words. Humility and service, men, that's what it's all about. Humility and service. I humbled myself to the cross. Humility and service. I washed your feet. Humility and service. That's what it's about, men. When I leave, don't forget, it's about humility and service. Humble yourself and serve. And communion is a time for us to remember his humility and ultimate sacrifice and service. And it should lead us to humbly serve one another. So this is where communion came from. It's meant to remind us of the love and sacrifice and work of Christ. And it should lead us to refocus on that which matters most so that we will give ourselves to a lifetime of humble service. Let me say that statement one more time. It is meant to remind us of the love and sacrifice and work of Christ. And it should lead us to refocus on that which matters most so that we will give ourselves to a lifetime of humble service. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.